0: of kind of difficult, difficult stuff that we wrestle with um, as Christians. Um, we don't want to ignore this or pretend it doesn't happen. Last week, um, Dan spoke about, well, what, what happens when we're praying and we just get silence? Um, it can be frustrating. It can be upsetting. Uh, it can lead to much anguish um, and Jan and Dan and Joe um, share their experience of that, and I'm sure that that resonated with lots of us. But what was clear, perhaps, in what Dan was saying was um, that it's quite normal. I think that's what I took away. You know, this isn't the normal experience of a Christian. This is not something to be surprised by. Um, Even uh, King David or Jesus himself struggled uh, with unanswered prayers and silence. Um, We looked at how crying out to God, that that point where we just say, I don't understand, and we weep and we sit um, at the foot of the cross and say, I just don't understand, is quite normal. And we also saw how this can lead us to a place of peace or um, as, we, as we wrestle, the Holy Spirit is able to um, miraculously bring us sometimes to that place of peace even in the silence. Um, and I was reminded in the week um, of what I heard once about Jacob, that he, he wrestled with God and that in the wrestling we find rest. I love that. (laughs) Sorry, it's a bit sad. (laughs) So this week, um, well, we looked at the realities and we looked at the response, and this week was supposed to be questions, but when I looked at it, I just thought, well, questions and science are so entwined together, and I I just think it was so well covered last week, that kind of response to it, that I thought that this week we'd look at some of the, the possible reasons that we might experience suffering. And I just want to start by saying that it's good for us as Christians to wrestle with these. We should be willing to give an answer to people. Um, And it's good for us to dig into God's word and see what it says. But intellectually, when we're in that place of wrestling, we know that it's not this that's happening is it it's not up here but it's here and it's very much an emotional response and i want to just say before we start that as we walk with people in this in this place we must remember this we might feel like job's friend that we must give an answer that we must give some theological explanation to defend God. But this we know brings little comfort. We are called instead to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, to mourn, to stand next to, and to empathise with where they're at. And I'm also desperately aware that 30 minutes or however long this takes is impossible to cover this subject. So I brought Handily, a massive load of books that have been helpful to me, um, God on Mute, which, to be honest, is much of what I'll say today. Excellent, absolutely excellent. Please read this book. Okay, there you go. Um, is God to Blame? Not everybody's uh, cup of tea. Some people struggle with some of the theology. But I have f- found it really helpful. It's always helpful to look at different people's points of view and think, hmm, does that make sense to me? Uh, More of a general one, what kind of God, looking at some of the issues that we might face. Um, And one specifically on suffering, why. So if you want to have a look at those afterwards, we have got a couple of copies of them, so if you want to borrow, that's fine. And just a very simple, how can God allow suffering, if you just want a quick One to have a look at or something to give to someone maybe who's asking those questions. But like I said, if they're in the wrestle, maybe that's not what they need. Maybe they just need us to mourn with them. Okay, so let's pray and then we'll get going. Father God, as we look at this huge topic this morning, we are so aware that we know so little our Our finite minds cannot possibly begin to understand the complexities of your universe. But we ask Jesus that this morning as we begin this journey, that as we look at these different things, that you would work in us and through us. And that this morning would be um, a time when we perhaps begin or continue our journey with you, walking in faith, trusting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at three areas, possible reasons God's world, God's will and free will, and God's war. So we'll start by looking at God's world. Uh, Very quickly at the beginning, we'll talk about inconsequential prayers. I am the queen of these. Uh, In my constant monologue, because I'm a bit of a talker, I continually monologue with God. Um, Not always good, I know. He doesn't get much of a say, but it's this continual thing. And so as I approach the car park, I am praying for a car parking space. I do get one most times. Um, As I'm walking in the rain, I pray for a lift home. I get one. I'm very excited about that. And as I'm in the traffic jam, I do pray for green lights. I'm one of those. There's nothing wrong with these, these prayers, are there? Um, I'm, I'm a great believer in the kind of do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in everything, pray. Oh, everything. Pray without ceasing. Yes, I've got that constantly in prayer. Um, I'm quite serious about this. <laughs> but I know that I'm often better at doing that than praying for other things. As I'm entering the car park for my space, um, I get one and I do rejoice. And I think God enjoys this when we're talking to him all the time. I think that's about relationship. But what did I really expect to happen in this moment? Did I expect, A, perhaps God to encourage someone to finish their shopping early in order to leave the space at that particular time that I would get that space Thank you, Jesus. Or did I expect God to blind someone to this space as they drove merrily past it in order that I would get that space? Or C, did I expect him to redesign the architectural structure of the car park in order to produce a new car parking space that I can sweep into and say, praise the Lord? We laugh at these. Um, But that's the reality of it, isn't it? It's no bigger deal, more bigger deal that God redesigns the architecture of that place, then he just moves somebody and causes them to finish their shopping earlier. Um, They are all kind of God's involvement, but as we'll see later, God wants to involve himself in this sort of stuff as little as possible. We've got, secondly, contradictory prayers. So what about if I'm going around the car parking park, but there's someone else praying also for a car parking space? Who deserves the car parking space? Would it be me on my merits that day, or is that person in a rush? Do they desperately need to get in and get home because someone's sick and ill? We just don't know, do we? It's a bit like, um, if you've seen this film, Bruce Almighty, when he gets the responsibility of prayer and then he begins to see the complexity of what would happen if he said yes to everything. That's the bit where he's covered in sticky notes. What about if we're getting the bus? We're late for school. We're desperately praying that the bus will hold on, just be late. And we catch it miraculously. But the person sitting on the bus is furiously annoyed because they have now missed their connection to the train in order to get to London that day. And this is trivial stuff, isn't it? But what about two people waiting on the list for a transplant? Who will make it up that list? They're both praying desperately that they get the transplant. And what about two people waiting for a council flat? Perhaps they've got certain disabilities or needs, or perhaps they're homeless. Who should God answer? So, why should we bother praying? You know, when we start to look at this, we think, oh, well, what's the point anyway? Well, there's relationship, isn't there? God loves it when we talk to him about what's going on. He may not answer our prayer that day. He may not give us a yes. But we can be sure that he's heard, that he understands, that he empathizes, and that he will be with us in it. And so we third thing we're going to look at is the laws of nature. Do you know what this is? there shouldn't be one Doctor Who fan that does not know what this is. It is the butterfly effect. (laughs) It is that effect that Doctor Who is constantly going, I cannot change this situation. No, this is a non-change situation, but I can change this situation. Because if I was to change this point in time, it would have ripples effects across the universe. That sort of thing. No, no. There is this understanding that if we change something, it impacts someone else. It might be small for us, but it's always going to have an impact. C.S. Lewis uh, writes this, that God can and does uh, on occasions modify the behavior of matter and produce what we call miracles is part of the Christian faith. But the very conception of a common and therefore stable world demands that these occasions should be extremely rare. And this is part of him looking in that book, The Problem of Pain, which is also an excellent book to read. However, we do hold that biblical teaching that God does know us intimately. He does want the best for us. He may not always drop a car parking space in front of me. But he does appear to influence creation for our good at some points. But the big one is the world is broken. The world is broken. As 21st century Christians, we don't often have this plastered up. In this world, you will have trouble. We don't find ourselves going, oh, I just want to encourage you today with this word that I had for you this morning. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> we don't do that. And we don't often go to, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though you thought something strange were happening to you. And that's in First Peter. We think that they don't apply maybe to us. But when Adam and Eve rejected God, everything was affected. Everything was tarnished. Death entered And with death came pain, suffering, and decay. Our world is broken. It entered into a world that was simply not made to take this. And creation was subject to frustration, we read. It is broken and yearning for the day when once again it can operate as it's meant to to operate, as God designed it to operate, as God wanted it to operate. And sometimes we rationalise our view that the trouble thing doesn't apply to us. Sometimes we can read, particularly in Peter, and think, well, that applies to extreme Christians, those people that are going around and they're on the front line and they're they're telling people about Jesus and then they suffer, or people who are in countries where they're persecuted. But no, I don't think this is the case. We are in the world and we are subject to trouble. In life, particularly in this country, we're fed that we shouldn't have any problems. And that's what people want to project all the time, isn't it? My life is perfect. I have the perfect husband. I have the perfect home. I have the perfect life. That's what they want to project because that's The ultimate goal and expectation is that I will be happy and at peace. And even on the on the adverts I've noticed, even the bank adverts are about if you have the right understanding bike bank sorry, not bike, bank, you will cruise through life on a roller coaster. Have you seen that one? And nothing will ever trouble you because you will have this perfect bank behind you. And we can buy into this lie as Christians too, can't we? We do know, however, and these are things we do need to hold on to that God has good plans for us, that He is for us, not against us, that nothing can separate us from His love. Nothing that happens to us can separate us from that. We also know that out of the most horrendous, painful, um, diabolical, meaningless, barbaric situations, God promises, "I will bring something good." Not that he will bring about that situation, but that he will bring good out of it. Yet we do live at the moment, don't we, very much in that place between the fall and redemption of all things. We are not here yet. We see glimmers in life, don't we? We see glimmers when God's will is, in, is being uh, worked out, when we see things in line with his will, when we see good things happening, when we see miracles take place, we see glimmers. But for now, we stand very much groaning with creation. The lie that we deserve to have a pain-free life leads to misery or even loss of God in the fact that we reject him. So if this is what it means, I don't want you. Because we want happiness at any cost, regardless of anyone else. We want to put ourselves, ultimately, that's our sinful desire, to put us at the centre. As Christians, we're not zapped from this world. We are sent into this world. Into its brokenness. We're not excluded from the consequences of the brokenness. We share with our neighbors and our work colleagues and our friends that mutual struggle within a very broken world. But it is at those points that we identify with them. Just as Jesus identified with our suffering, we identify with them And from that place, we can begin to share, well, what is the difference that Jesus makes in this situation? Does he bring peace when life is falling apart? Does he give me strength when things are not working for me, when I still can't get the job that I would like? Does he bring, most of all, hope in the hopeless situation? I'm just going to ask Andrew to come and share one of his experiences of prayer. Um, here you go. You want to use that mic? Oh, go away.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, you. You may know us as a family with three children, but actually we have four children because we have a, an eldest daughter who is a, who's away working at a uh, church in Bournemouth, um, which is a great blessing to us because it's not long after we moved to Southampton in um, well, six years ago, um, she contracted an E. coli infection on a school trip, but it took a week for to let anybody to know what that was. Um, she got extremely ill and went through a number of things. And and then when they finally realized what it was, she was rushed into Southampton General in an ambulance. And when we got there, it explained and we had a doctor tell us that uh, she wasn't going to die. Well, Well, I can't promise anything was the exact words, which wasn't particularly reassuring. But then... They said, "Well, we've got to get her into theatre to um, to do dialysis to get dialysis on her because her kidneys have completely stopped working, total renal failure." So as we went from there down into theatre, she was extremely ill. And, and while we were waiting to go in for her to go into theatre, she suddenly started saying, I, I feel funny." So we called over one of the nurses, and at that point, I suddenly realised that something I'd always thought was a joke in a pub—how many fingers am I holding up—was real because. The doctor, the the nurse held up fingers and she had no idea. She was clearly completely out of it. And within moments, quite humbling experience, there was about eight medical professionals around her from all over the hospital who just surrounded her and all they cared about in that moment was her well being. It's a really humbling moment. But of course we were absolutely beside ourselves and they said we don't know what's going on. All we think we can do is get her into theatre and get on with this operation. So at that point, we, we, we got, they were absolutely beside ourselves. My, Alice and my wife and I were just sort of absolutely beside them. And, and, and then I said, well, we've just got to go for it. So they, they took her into the pre-prep room and, and, and Alice asked if I, I would go with her. So I went with her and, of course, we were beside ourselves. But in that room, and I can still remember it to this day, we were just praying about her. And I suddenly became aware of the most strong presence of God that I could probably ever remember. And suddenly realized that God was there in such a way that I was just um, unreal. He didn't take her out of that situation. He didn't change that situation at that moment. But he just became present. And I walked out of that room and Alice just looked at me and went, "What?" Anis, it's okay, God's there. And of course we, you know, we had to wait then for this operation to go through and we had to wait for three more weeks before she finally recovered. But as you realise she's now 19 and working in a church, she's, she's 100% there. But at that moment in time, it was the presence of God was the answer to that prayer. That.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for saying that. Angie's going to run off to boulders now, I think. <laughs> so we see that we're not excluded from suffering. But we know as Christians that Jesus is with us in it. And when we stand next to our neighbours and our friends and our colleagues, we stand with them in it, even if we get those moments when we can't take it away. So let's look at some of the other reasons. God's will and free will. So as well as the world broken we have um, a world where human beings are not in line with God's will. And um, we see this in Genesis, beginning of the world. um, It's created perfect. It's very good. Evil is not a part of it. Suffering and death are not a part of it. But the capacity is there. And why? Because of love. We read that God is love Father, Son, and Spirit existing in that perfect, loving unity, birth, creation, out of love and gave us the ability to love. And the ability to love comes with risk because you will know that you cannot force someone to love you. Uh, when I started, um, when I met Rob, he was um, very keen, <laughs> but it took him a year of walking next to me, of just being my friend, allowing me to get to know him, to woo me, that I finally said one day, I think I like you. Let's go on a date. (laughs) And that's the case, isn't it? As human beings, we cannot force people to love us. That is the nature of love. If we say, I love you, but we don't feel it, we're just lying. God didn't create us as robots to just say, to say it because ultimately we'd be not loving. So with free will comes that possibility of choosing not to love. So let's have a look, quick look at Genesis um, chapter three. Uh, Genesis, first book of the Bible. It's on page five. Don't have to look very far, and it's um, the fall. Uh, We're just going to read the first few. So now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden?" The woman said to the snake, "We may eat fruit from." from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and we 're going to stop there. So here we have the first incident of human beings choosing not to follow god 's will choosing to reject what he said. Um, And it comes about through Satan's words of enticing them, of saying, God is holding something back from you. He doesn't want the best from you. In fact, he's possibly threatened by you that if you ate this, you would be like him. He wants to keep you small. He wants to control you. He wants you to do what he wants you to do for." evil purposes. And in choosing to know good and evil, Adam and Eve chose to decide for themselves what is good and what is evil, to be their own judges. And so much of the world's suffering results from this ongoing action of people deciding for themselves what is good and what is bad. They set, You set We set ourselves up as judges to justify our own actions and condemn the actions of others. With human beings as the moral compass, it isn't very long in the Bible before we see the first murder, again justified in their own moral compass. But God is all powerful. There's no doubt about that. He is powerful. He can just go he can but he chooses to limit himself because he desires free will he wants people to choose him we see him ultimately relinquishing his control when he expresses this perfectly in becoming a baby an incontinent vulnerable baby and ultimately allowing humans of their own free will to crucify him. God appears to be determined to respect free will. Fallen people value control. They value the ability to control people, to, be, to demonstrate their power through control. But this is not an attribute of God. God's sovereignty does not always mean that he needs to get his own way. And his supreme power is seen on the cross. I don't know if I've got a verse. This is Paul. He says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength." God will not force a person to do something; it is our choice. Now, this does not mean that our prayers for people are a waste of time, because we might be thinking at this point, "Well, if God doesn't doesn't force them, what's the point? If I'm praying for someone to become a Christian, what's the point?" God seems to to influence people in very subtle ways; he interferes as little as possible. Free will seems to be something that he wants to honor. He wants to allow to take place. In the Old Testament, we see that when the Israelites, uh, the people of God were surrounded by their enemies, thousands upon thousands, it's often that God sends um, a fear upon them that they run away rather than angels appearing in the middle with massive swords. Can you see how he subtly influences it? And it's like that when you hear people give their testimony of how they came to God. They don't say, well, one morning God woke me up, slapped me around the face and said, you will worship me. No, no it's often a series of very minor things, subtle influences, people coming alongside them, a word, a picture, something they saw, an experience that they had. And all these tiny, subtle influences lead them to the point where they say, I know there is a God and he loves me. So we shouldn't give up praying for people. On... Um I was um, rem- uh, reminded of this illustration, um, which is about some bamboo that grows in Asia. And it grows um, 60 feet tall in six weeks. So just kind of imagine that 60 feet tall in six weeks. It just literally goes, whew, it is massive. But what you may not know is that the seed for that is in the ground for up to five years before it sits in the darkness and the farmer's water it faithfully all the time they water this seed for 5 years and then it goes whoo. and that's often like our prayers we water faithfully on and on in the hope that life will shoot up from that person final thing we're going to look at very quickly, God's war. Um, We we don't know much about this really because we live in the West and we don't like to talk about it very much. But uh, we do read this passage, which says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this might be another reason that our prayers are not answered. Um, you may be aware of the book of Daniel, where he prays for wisdom. And uh, when the angel eventually arrives with her, with at him and some weeks later the angels just declares the reason that he was not able to come was that he was obstructed by an enemy of God, a spiritual uh, dimensions in the cosmic realms stood against him and prevented him from coming to give the answer. Now, we may not understand that. Um, In our Western, you know, it might be something that we struggle with, but it is in the Bible. It is there. And the spiritual realm is not something that Jesus ignored. Time after time after time after time, you see that um, on some occasions he heals, but on some occasions he casts out demons. Jesus is fully aware of the spiritual realm, and so should we. We know that when we hear of like the parish shootings, this is not God's will. This is not what he intended for his world to be like. Evil seems to reign in this world at time. We know that, God, um, that man has free will, And we can see that really evidently just by walking down our street, never mind going to a newspaper. But there is also a cosmic rebellion happening as well. In Revelation, we read some passages about how Satan was uh, hurled down to earth. We also read in 1 John that the whole world is under the control of of the evil one. Now what are we to do with these passages? Just skip over them, pretend they don't exist? That's not currently in my dimension of understanding. But they are there. And I'm certainly not giving all the answers this morning. I'm just saying this is a springboard to start thinking. As Christians, we believe that the almighty God does not always get his way. We're taught in the Lord's Prayer to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why are we told to say that? Perhaps because it isn't always done. So just to wrap up, we've looked at three very fast reasons of why our prayers might not be answered. But We can look to Jesus, and this is a really good thing that I do. We look to Jesus' character again and again and say, this is what God looks like. This is who he is. And at that moment, we can be confident of something. We cannot begin to fathom the complexities of creation. Human agents with free will and and um, spiritual agents with free will in a broken world. We can't begin to do that. But we can know something of God revealed in Jesus. When we try to to rationalise this, and I'm aware of it even this morning, I speak out of complete ignorance. Like Job's friends who tried to come up with answers for him, they spoke out of ignorance. And even Job himself, he doesn't get any answers He tries to rationalize it. He tries to ask, uh, say, questions. But God just shows him more of himself. And when we're struggling, we need to see more of who God is. We need to look at Jesus. When we're walking alongside someone, wrestling with this, let's not go with the answers here. Let's sit and weep with them. Let's listen to them. Don't give them pat answers. We've discussed some stuff this morning and we stand just going, we're ignorant. We don't have all the answers. The stuff we've considered today are possibilities. We will not know until we are in heaven. That's the bottom line. When people are hurting, we need to cry with them, listen with them. Um, I heard a great story about a little boy yesterday And it said he was playing in his garden and as he looked over the fence he saw an old man crying. He hopped over and he went and sat on the bench. Some time later he came back and his mother said, what did you say to him? And the little boy said, nothing, I just helped him cry. And that is sometimes what we need to do, just help someone cry. We want to say something, but we feel lost for words. It's okay. That's how everyone feels. It's uncomfortable and it's frustrating because we want to defend God. He doesn't need our defense. He's God. We might feel the burden of a house group leader or even a church leader that we should say some perfect words that will make this okay. But it won't. We can know that God did not want our friends to be in this state. And we can pray for them and pray that God would give us the right things to do and say. But we know a day is coming when suffering and evil will cease forever. We have ultimately a hope like that bamboo that is sure and it will happen. I remember um, one of the most difficult times for me was f- attending um, a really good, a good friend from Bible College, and they had just lost um, their baby daughter and um, sorry may not be able to tell this um, but i 'll try and tell it without <laughs> um, they 'd lost twins and then they were pregnant, and they went right to 37 weeks and their baby was born and she didn't survive. And um, I was pregnant at the time, the same time, at the same number of weeks. So you can imagine how that went down. And we went to their funeral, but her and her husband stood and they spoke and they said of the hope that they had that they would see their children in heaven. What amazing hope. They brought. And similarly, later on, when when Rob and I thought we were going to lose our second child, as we lay in bed and prayed, we thanked God that this is not the end. So, this is the hope we have that we bring to a broken world. The Bible insists that the battle is won, Satan is defeated. And sometimes we see those glimmers of hope when prayers are answered, like Andrew and Alice's daughter who was healed, and sometimes we don't see answers. But the battle is won. And Revelation says, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So let's just pray now together. Jesus, that we thank you that you are the hope of the world. That when you died on the cross, you said, it is finished. And you said, nothing will ever, ever separate us again from your love. No pain, no cancer. No rape, no war. No depression, no grief. Will ever separate us from your love again. And we thank you that we have in our hearts the hope of the world. And we pray in this coming week as we walk in a broken world that we bring that hope as we walk alongside people, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Amen.